Hi, and welcome back to Alderpod. Thanks for listening. This is Alderpod number 19, chapter 17 of the Aldersgate. Welcome. Sir Din hadn't said much in the way of parting words, but kept to herself. She had explained the plan. They were to let Salvia know that the small company was heading north, alone, on a border dispute involving two farmers and their land lines. This was a relatively common occurrence and certainly plausible enough. Salvia was a valued friend and ally, but Din was wary of trusting her and her girls to anything that could put them in danger, she said. And things were looking more dangerous by the day. Gowan fully expected to run into the Oaks Guard, and had handed Brick a draft of something that tasted like burnt wood to keep him alert during the trip. Sleep would have to be foregone for the time being. The rest of the company, he promised, would not be far behind. "'Where is this place, exactly?' Brick asked, after they had been riding from the rest of the company for nearly half a turn. The stars were winking into view now, the horizon holding just the last few glimmers of sunset. "'Not far,' Gowan replied. He had been uncharacteristically quiet since he had found out what had been written in the papers, and had even spared Brick a lecture before they left. He only insisted that he take the draft. "'Din said something about a forge?' Brick said. Gowan straightened in his saddle. "'Yes, yes, she did. Uh, Salvia herself is something of a smith, if you'd believe it. She's a woman of significant talents.' "'She's a whore, then?' "'That's an ugly word, Brick,' Gowan said. "'But Din said, "'Right, fornication,' Gowan said, his voice rough and weary. "'Brick sometimes suspected that the man didn't sleep well. "'It was hard to imagine he slept at all, what with all the snoring. "'And it's true. "'Salvia's house is a place of rest and recuperation. "'It's a house of healing, you know. "'And sometimes healing, especially for men on the road as often as we are, "'comes in the form of a woman. "'Aye.' "'Brick glanced at where Lark rode before him, "'her braid bouncing along behind her. "'Oh, I see, and we're expected to—' "'You do what you think best, Brickley,' Gowan said. "'You'll have a chance to meet Salvia and talk to her girls, "'and if it's not something you want to do or can do, you don't have to. <laughs> "'But what about—I mean, what happens if they get with the child?' "'Gowan chuckled a bit. It was a good sound to hear. "'Brick hated when the man was in a foul mood.' Salvia is in business because of the lack of risk, Brickley. You see, so many women are born sterile that their fathers reckon the price to sell them off as, well, courtesans, let's say, to be quite considerable. Some come from noble families, some from your sort. There's an entire string of houses in the north that are all elder-class women, every age, every type you could imagine. I have a few cousins there. <laughs> and they just go along with any man they're told to? Oh, no, Brickley, you misunderstand me. These are not simple whores to be used and thrown away. These are women of education and talent, with wisdom, friendship, and companionship. They choose you. <laughs> you do not, and I ought to repeat this so you don't forget and make a fool of yourself, you do not choose them. Oh. <laughs> now, take a moment and calm yourself, Brickley, or you'll pull your stitches before you even get there. Gresham, who had apparently been listening to the conversation, chuckled and spurred his horse on. They continued to ride, stopping only when the horses needed water, and spoke little to one another. 
First the sky turned gray, then deep purple, then orange, yellow, white streaked, and finally the sun rose again, bathing the wooden lush lands before them in golden light. It was a world unlike any that Brick had ever known. Birds sang out on every limb, trees were already laden with fruit, and the air was sweet and fresh. Poking up against the horizon was a curve of land, green and lush, with what looked like orchards growing all along the side. A narrow road wound its way up toward a sprawling manor house. Brick thought he could spot a flock of sheep busy about their chewing. That's Salvia's house in all its splendor, said Gowan. He smiled, his red mustache lifting at the sides. He looked genuinely happy. It took longer than Brick had thought to climb the steep hill. Their horses were tired and it was hot. Brick was sweating more than he imagined possible, partly due to his injury. Even movement on a horse was taxing, and they had not slept. Lark informed him that the air here also contributed to sweat. The air was wetter than the air in the territories, owing to a constant breeze from the sea. It was also why it was so green. Brick stared in awe at the rows upon rows of fat red apples. They picked as many as they could carry. When he sampled the apples, the fruit was sweet, cold, and juicy, running down his chin and onto his shirt. He had never enjoyed fresh apples being so far out in the territories. It was unexpected and rather lavish. He felt like he was experiencing the world anew. But of course, that could have been the spirits Gowan insisted he drink as they approached as well. Liquor or not, Brick had certainly never seen a home like this. Its dark stone walls sprawled the length of the hill, and three tall towers capped them, flying bright purple and orange banners. Gardens spanned the length of the manor, trees and bushes cut and shaped in the form of nymphs and fanciful creatures. Beautiful glass-paned windows flashed in the sunlight, and dazzling terracotta terraces spilt down the side of the hill. And people! People bustled about everywhere! Harvesters brought bushels of apples and some kind of nut that Brick didn't recognize. A shepherd ran his flock beside them, all greeting and waving to the asp guard, as if they were old friends. It's beautiful, said Gowan, but keep your eyes open. These hills are perfect for would-be sharpshooters. One shot and you're dead, so keep your eyes peeled. Yes, sir. Brick sobered for the moment anyway. Brick found it nearly impossible, however, to keep his wits about him. He marveled at the garden's their flowers with petals of every size and shape, some towering over his head, wafting their fragrant perfumes into the air. The sunlight seemed unnaturally bright, lemony yellow and warm, delightful. By the time he reached the top of the hill, he was dizzy with it. "'Ah, there she is!' cried Sir Gowan. He left from his horse and rushed to meet the most beautiful woman Brick Smithson had ever seen. She must have been an islander like Gowan, because her hair was the color of ripest apples, arrayed like waves of molten copper down her back. Her eyes were clear blue like the sky, and her skin fair and smooth. Salvia's lips were slightly parted in a smile, revealing her beautiful white teeth, her heart-shaped face dimpling with the profession of happiness. Before Gowan scooped her up into his arms, Brick caught a glimpse of a daring dress, plunging far below the coat of decency in Vell. It made his insides tighten up again, and he thought of Cora for a moment, and then rather awkwardly of Lark. Brick felt like there was music playing in his head, and then he realized that there was actually music playing, softly lilting its way to him from inside. "'Boys! Boys!' Salvia said, as Gowan dropped her down to her slippered feet. "'And girl! Oh, is this the starling girl? Stars, you've grown three feet since I last saw you!' Lark grinned, but Brick could see the young woman was nowhere near as thrilled to be at Salvia's house as Gowan was. Salvia was laughing, 
a melodic welcoming sound. Oh, you smell like yaks, the lot of you. Get in, get in, get washed. The hands will take your horses, freshen them up too. Her eyes settled on Brick a moment, and she winked at him. Brick smiled back and went to dismount his horse, but slipped in the stirrup and tumbled to the ground. His shoulder exploded in pain, and he groaned, blinking up into the bright sun. The smell of lilac and honey wafted over his face, and Salvia was looking down at him. She was cooing, saying something sweet and gentle while she helped him to his feet. He couldn't help but look down the plunge of her shirt, where her very white, very full breasts swung inches from his face. Terrible things befalling such young, sweet boys, she was saying. Come, let's help him in, and we'll get you healed and rested. The nicest house in Vell had belonged to the Greys, but next to Salvia's manor it looked like a hovel. Brick even stopped thinking about his aching shoulder and embarrassing tumble when he entered the house and all his senses were assaulted with decadence. Colorful tapestries and furs lined the walls, interspersed here and there with some of the most gorgeous and erotic artwork he'd ever seen. Nubile nudes danced in streams, goddesses tread on flowers. He swallowed, feeling that familiar tension rise in him. Now, I think, Lark said, coming up beside Brick, you may have figured out just why Gowan was so excited to see her. Brick nodded wordlessly, as he was ushered past the kitchens and away from Helter by two young hands. He tur turned to try and talk to his friend, but realized she was already gone. The eyes he met instead were another girl's eyes, hazel flecked with green. She was dressed like a boy and had a birthmark on her chin. Uh, "'What's your name?' she asked. Her accent was heavy, but Brick understood her well enough. Uh, "'Brick?' he said. Her hands were strong on his arm, and she brought him into a steep-roofed room as beautifully ornamented as the rest— the curtains were open to the orchards, and the heady smell of apples and wine made his brain buzz. "'Well, a brick,' she said with a light laugh. "'Here is your room. You'll find a bed and food, as well as new clothes if you like them. Just keep what you'd like laundered outside the door.' The girl giggled and left the room, shutting the door behind her. Brick stood still, staring out the large window. He felt warm, but there was a gentle breeze blowing his hair. The hearth was cold, but there was a large repast set out for him. And a bed. Gods, what a bed! The sheets were the softest material he'd ever touched. And from the look of it, it was just for him. He almost jumped into bed first, thinking a quick nap might settle his head, when he caught sight of someone else in the room. "'You really should bathe,' said a soft woman's voice. "'You feel so much better, and I can redress your wounds.' I'm skilled in the healing arts, you know. Brick turned to see her. She was a small woman, probably only tall enough to reach his shoulder. But he wasn't concerned at the moment with her height. She was wearing a long shift made of transparent white material. Her hair was studded with apple blossoms. He noticed with a strange squirm in his stomach that her nipples were the same color as her lips. Petal pink. He wanted to say something. Anything. But he couldn't could still hear music through the window. The woman laughed, and he saw that she couldn't have been much older than he was. But her eyes were mismatched. One brown, one blue. Her lashes black, and her hair a tumble of auburn curls and flowers. My name is Nomi, she said, striding to Brick. Brick swallowed. Ah, ah. It was all he could manage. She was stroking his cheek now, her hands like a fluttering of wings over his face. Blood was rushing in his ears, in his stomach, and further down. But Brick couldn't keep much of a train of thought going. You needn't worry, Brick, 
Nomi said. Her voice was low, beautiful. Every word felt like a kiss. I'll take care of you. It wasn't love, but he took it willingly. Afterward, Brick stayed awake. Nomi was good at what she did, healing and otherwise. His shoulder felt much better. Still sore, but better. She had turned away from him, and he could see the rise and fall of her breath as her white shoulders moved. He felt clean and good. He felt strong. As she wrapped his shoulder, she had marveled at the muscles in his arms and chest, the sign of a life's work with metal. She had told him things, shown him things. It was a pleasure unknown to him at that time. At, at first it was awkward and fast, a blur of pain and pleasure, but then he remembered the dark of the stable that night in Vell, and the girl that was not Cora, trembling in his arms. In a rush of emotion, he found himself weeping, his shoulder burning anew. Here, drink this. It will make the pain feel a little less present, Nomi said. She had drawn up beside him, and he hadn't noticed. She produced a goblet full of bright red liquor that smelled of apples, and he drank it without looking at her. It wasn't that bad, was it? she asked, after he had fallen silent. No, no, Brick said, trying to compose himself. Thank you. It, it was wonderful, the best I ever had. I didn't think a handsome face like that could have gone so long without the attentions of a woman, said Nomi, grinning. So this wasn't your first? No, not, not exactly. The first time I ever did it that way, though, all slow-like. Then why the tears? asked Nomi, though her smile led Brick to believe she already knew. She sighed. There's always another girl. It doesn't matter if there are two girls left in the entire world. The one the man ended up with would remind him of the one he didn't have. Sometimes I just don't know where I am, Brick said, admitting the fear that had been gnawing in him since they left Vell. I should be happy here, but it all happened so fast. Tell me about her, Nomi said gently. She nuzzled her face to his chest. You probably mean Cora, then. The other... Well, there isn't much to tell. What happened? Let's just say I had a mind on something I, I couldn't get and took what was second best. Not a good idea, but I was upset. That felt better, he thought. Her name is Cora, he said. But I don't know where she's gone, and she's Alder class. It ain't like I'd never had a chance or nothing. We never did more in Kiss, but... So it's not just Cora, then? Nomi said, leaning back on the pillows. She watched him sip the liquor, her strange, mismatched eyes shadowed by her long lashes. The other girl, the page you came in with, well, I guess. You guess, she laughed. No, I'm the one that guesses. You're the one that knows. Or you should. I mean, I guess I just don't know what to think. A woman in general. There's Cora, and there's you, and there's Lark and Salvia. It's all a bit different. Nomi said, well, it's not unheard of, you know. Brick was doubtful. He frowned, feeling the rush of alcohol course through him. I'm sure, but I don't know if it's right or not. What about her? What if she... You know, Brick, don't be silly. Locke can't have children. Huh? She can't? Why not? Brick was starting to wonder if he ever would have a clear picture of the world beyond the territories. Nomi bit down on her bottom lip and tilted her head to the side, 
her long dark curls falling down across her shoulder. You'd best ask her if you want the whole story. But women in knighting orders aren't common, of course. But those that are? Well, let's just say there's no possible way for them to have children, even if they wanted to. How's that? Listen, I don't want to be speaking about others. It's not my place. What? Is she, is she alder class or something? Brick, listen. You should just talk to her if you're curious. Brick considered a moment and remembered something. Salvia recognized her as one of the Starling girls, like she knew her family. Who's the Starlings? Can you tell me that at least? Nomi sighed and sat up in the bed. Her shift had fallen down over one smooth shoulder and she pulled it up in an oddly modest moment. She looked slightly annoyed but gathered herself, smiling a little. You must be stuck on her worse than you think, she said. But you're cute and I like you. So I'll tell you what I know, but on one condition. Uh, yeah, sure, Nomi. She glided her hand up under the covers and grasped him, gentle at first, and then firm enough to make him gasp in pleasure, surprise, then pain. Just a little more fun, she said. He nodded wordlessly, and she sat back up again, folding her hands in her lap. She closed her eyes and then began to speak. Lem Starling is Locke's father. You might not have heard of him down in the territories, but up this way he's something of a living legend. Though he's not a knight himself, and would never ally himself with them directly, he's distantly related to that Sally Din of yours. Cousins, I think. At any rate, from what I know, Lem Starling had a run gone wrong. See, he was a smuggler. Not a bad man, just a man of opportunity. He knows lots of people in lots of places, so you can imagine he'd be useful to the Asp. Well, the run went wrong, and he crossed the wrong folks. No one's sure exactly who it was, but some think it may have been a travelling merchant from abroad. They ransacked their home and burnt it to the ground. Two of his sons were killed in Locke. Nomi had stopped speaking and was staring ahead at Brick, her lips pressed together. He thought he caught a glimmer of tears in her eyes, but she blinked quickly and they were gone. She continued, I reckon what they did to her was worse than death in some ways. Lem was broken because of it, and arranged to have her enlist as a page with the asp. That way, he figured, she'd be protected. At least, next time someone came for her, she'd have a fighting chance. That's awful. It's what I know, Nomi said, brushing a stray lock of hair from her face. But I don't suggest talking to her about it. Act like you don't know. If you value her as a friend, you'd best keep quiet. I won't. No buts. Just no. Just don't say a word. Brick was confused. He looked at Nomi, naked and resplendent in the flickering golden light of the candles, her skin silky, and part of him wanted nothing more than to turn her over on her back and start with the coupling again. But the other part of him, the more practical and sensitive part, wouldn't couldn't stop thinking about Lark. How would she feel being in a place like this, a, a place she certainly could have nothing to do with? What kind of friend would he be if he didn't even check after her? All he'd been doing since he arrived was... Well, it was good, but... Nomi sighed as if reading his thoughts. She rolled her shoulder, stretched, and gazed up at him under her long lashes. You promised, she said. You said you'd stay for more fun. I won't be long, Brick said, slipping down off the high bed and rummaging around for his discarded trousers. He couldn't seem to locate them. By the hearth, said Nomi. If you recall, we... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I remember, he said with a laugh. Gods, how could he forget? He dressed quickly, his fingers moving slower than he would have liked. He wasn't sure why, but he felt nervous, anxious. Would Lark question him? Would she suspect him? 
He really only wanted to look after her well-being, but he didn't know her well enough to know for certain. I expect she'll be looking after the horses, Nomi said quietly, staring down at her arm and flexing her fingers. That's usually where she goes. Thanks, Nomi. I'm sure. Brick lingered a moment, watching Nomi, drinking the beauty of her body and face, the sleek lines of her hips under the silk sheets. Desire still coursed through his veins, along with quite the good portion of two bottles of wine. He would come back later, he told himself. It didn't matter what happened with Lark. Nomi had chosen him, and he had promised her. You'll hardly miss me, he said, smiling rakishly. Just go, Nomi said, smiling with her lips, but not with her eyes. I'll be here. The grounds were no less beautiful at night, Brick discovered. With the nighttime garden lacked in the way of colors, it made up for in scents. Flowers unseen and furled on the gentle evening breezes, their honeyed blossoms perfuming the air and mingling with the smell of earth, of sky, and of leaf. Standing under a canopy of honeysuckle, Brick's sense of smell, however, was quickly overtaken by his sense of hearing, as the unmistakable grunts of a nearby couple in the midst of making swayed his attention. He walked past as quietly as he could to find not two, but three people entangled beneath a laurel. One, no mistaking, was Sir Gowan. Even in the low lamp lights of the garden, his hair was still red. He thought he caught a glimpse of Salvia, but then turned away, moving toward the stables with haste. The stables were up ahead, to the left of the smithy, which, with some luck, he would get to explore tomorrow morning. He moved carefully, navigating through not a few love-making groups along the way, by the fountain and near the entryway to the smithy. There, a low red building set to the west of the manor house sat, the stable. His pulse quickened as he approached the stables, memories of Cora and of his experiences in Vell flitting through his mind like unwanted flies. He didn't want to be thinking of Cora or of anyone. He wanted to be done with Vell, done with what he had done and who he had been. Lark was the start of that. She was his first new friend, someone he could trust without the need to ask. Oh, gods, said a voice behind him. Don't tell me you had enough of the feckin' already. It's only been two turns. It was Lark, though it took him a moment to recognize her. She'd bathed for one and was wearing a long dress, simple brown bodice and long skirt tucked up a bit so as not to sweep by her boots. Her long dark braids had been combed out, so her dark hair fell freely over her shoulder. The front half was cut short across her brow, something he hadn't noticed with her hat on before. It was a contrast against her pale skin, and quite attractive as it was. It framed her eyes beautifully. Uh, I needed some fresh air, he said, lamely. Brick was worrying the fabric at his cuff. And I wanted to check on the horses. Sure, Lark said. She paused and reached down to work on what she'd been doing before Brick interrupted her. Pulling a knife from her boot, she slit a long opening in a bag of oats and then hefted it deeper into the stalls. Brick followed after her. I hadn't seen you. I wanted to make sure you were uh, enjoying yourself, too. Lark was in the second stall to the left, attending her horse. She filled up the bucket before answering Brick, turning to him, wiping her hair out of her face. Her expression was of mild annoyance. I'm fine. I'm no damsel in distress, you reckon? Lark sighed, brushing her hands on her bodice to get the oat dust off. <laughs> not all of us fancy a roll in the hay, so uh, not exactly my idea of a good time. But horses are, Brick said, realizing immediately that it sounded more of an insult than he'd meant it. Sometimes he felt as if Dace and Elgin had been a, had been right. 
Maybe the anvils ringing around him since his birth had made him a little slow in the head. Or perhaps it was just the effect Lark had on him. I'll pretend you didn't mean that the way I think you did, Lark said, hissing through her teeth lowly. She turned from him and reached out to scratch her horse on the skull between his ears. It's beyond me why horses would appeal to you in your right mind, I mean, considering what you got going on in there. Brick wasn't sure how to answer the question. He just knew that since coupling with Nomi, he'd felt a part of himself slip deeper and deeper into sadness, a void that no matter what he did, continued to expand. In it, he kept seeing the faces of the gray girls, of the dead in Vell, of Professor. Seeing as you're staring at me like a cow chewing cud, I suspect you have no idea, Lark said with a laugh. She leaned up against the door to the stable, drumming her fingers against the smooth wood. I do, Brick countered. I do. I mean, you're my friend. Lark laughed again, this time derisively. Wait, wait, she said. We're friends now? I thought so. Leech, how many women have you been with? You said you ain't never had that Cory girl, but said that there was someone... Her name's Cora, not Cory. But it's two. Count tonight. Two. Brick had no idea why he was being so open with Lark. He felt sick just talking about it again, twice in one night. But there it was. Lark looked mildly surprised. You're lucky at that. See, if you had someone in your little town and she wasn't the one you kissed... Brick could feel his face flush hot with the memory, the shame. He was glad for the dim light all the same. I don't want to talk about it. Of course not, because it was bad enough to keep it a secret from Cora, wasn't it? How? Lark smiled this time, walking a little closer to Brick now. She was all modesty the way she dressed, certainly nothing like the women in the banner. But somehow it was all the more sensual to Brick. He couldn't stop thinking about the way she moved under her dress knowing what her legs might look like underneath. Men don't differ much, she said. You mess it up the first time, and you keep trying to dip your wick again and again, hoping that after a time you'll manage to forget the shame and the horror that the first time made you feel, because it was, in every way, wrong. Am I close? She was close, both in the subject matter and her physical proximity, but she did not touch him. Who was she? I don't... No, I don't want to talk about it. A maid? A servant? Stop. A mother? Stop! Ah, her sister. Brick just gaped at her, unable to form a coherent thought, let alone a sentence. His mind was a race of images, emotions, and memories, convalescing into a murky mire that was as immobilizing as tar. How did she know? How did she know he had made it with Denna? Second and alder class girl, Lark said coldly. How gallant. Guess you're pretty damn lucky no one ever found you out. It wasn't rape? Of course not! Don't think you were the sort, but uh, wouldn't buy the story it was all her idea, Lark said, brushing by him and shoving him slightly. She was goading him, teasing him, trying to get him to the breaking point, and it was maddening. If she'd have been a man, he'd have already punched her. Lark, I... She turned slowly, crossing her arms over her chest. Listen, I'm not your friend, Leech. Sure, I'll get your back in a fight like any other page would, but I'm not here for feckin', for love, for friendship, or even a teary-eyed goodbye. I don't buy into that. So you best go back to that warm bed and those warm legs and forget you ever came out here. But I won't tell anyone. Not like it matters now. 
She gestured to his hands and the tattoos around his wrists. Things change. You're a new man now. Best start acting like one. For the life of him, Brick Smithson couldn't think of anything more to say. He watched Lark as she walked away from him, her skirt swishing behind her softly, the scent of sweet hay behind him and the perfume of honeysuckle before him. The darkest secret he'd ever held was out, but the dark hole in the center of him was no smaller. He stood in the open stable doors, staring out into the darkness where she'd gone, until he heard something shuffle behind him in the hay. At first he th took it to be a rat. They always inhabited stables in spite of measures to the contrary. But then it happened again, followed by the thunk of a footfall. "'Good to see you again, Mr. Smithson,' said a cold baritone. Brick stiffened as cool gunmetal pressed itself to the back of his neck. "'The Order of the Oak welcomes you back.'" Well, you thought that was over. <laughs> I'm starting a new little tradition over here at AlderPod of uh, kind of adding some notes to the end of some of my podcasts to answer questions and maybe shed a little bit of light on some things that either aren't clear or that I think you might find interesting if you're following along. Tonight's chapter was Welcome, which is sort of the first time we really get a window into kind of the post-initiation of the Order of the Asp. I actually cut a bit of dialogue at the beginning that was Sally Din's farewell speech, which I basically boiled down to one sentence. And um, basically, uh, sometimes when you're editing these for podcasts, you realize either you have way too much dialogue or not enough dialogue. I think one of the things that's really different about podcasting versus reading is that some things just don't translate as well. And the initial conversation I had there at the beginning of the chapter just didn't really seem to cut to the quick fast enough for me. So unfortunately, Sally's little speech uh, <laughs> got axed, but I think it's actually stronger because it leads up to the conversation with Gallant and Brick. And I really like their dynamic. I think occasionally Brick is a little too dumb for his own right, but I think that Gallant is sometimes a little too smart for his own. So there's kind of, um, there's kind of a nice balance there between the two of them. Um, it is a brothel, um, kind of unconventional and a little strange considering that there are so few women in Irena at this point, and especially on the continent and in the territories. But as Nomi explains, the reason, and Nomi and Gowan explain, you know, there are, um, there are enough women and many of them do go sterile and you can make a lot of money if you send your daughter away to one of these places. And on the list of, uh, places to go, if that happens to you, this really isn't too, too bad. I try to get that across anyway regardless of your opinions on the matter I think um you know I'm trying to deal with the sort of Victorian sentimental sentimentalities here and, and social ideals and even though people are very buttoned up in some ways um the truth is that if men can't find you know let alone girlfriends or wives they're probably going to look somewhere else um I really enjoyed writing about Salvia's house I've always liked that kind of classical, with a capital C ideal, of uh, the sort of high courtesans living on this idyllic uh, compound at the beginning of the top of a hill, almost like the opposite of a nunnery, <laughs> of a nunnery gone wild, as it were. Um, the character of Salvia will figure in a little bit more in the next uh, brick chapter. Uh, really, the I think the, the, the most tense moment of this was the breakdown of, of brick, basically, um, having his revelation that he had actually 
been with Denna Gray, which is the first time he talks about it. And um, it's not really mentioned earlier in the book. It's not really supposed to. I tried to set up in a way that Brick kind of forces himself to forget it. People make mistakes and often kind of delude themselves. And Brick's kind of a simple guy, but I think he's definitely capable of of doing that. Depending on how well that comes across, I may try to add a little bit more of that earlier on. It's one of the details that kind of made itself really clear to me as I was writing the story. Not something that uh, I thought about initially. But I think it works really well. I think it's, it's going to make a big difference for the rest of the story. He'll learn a little bit more about it. You know, Brick is not destroyed. He's still a good guy. The The situation was not bad as, as Lark taunts him into saying it wasn't rape. It wasn't anything like that. Um, but you will learn more, I promise. Um, I really wanted Lark to be the romantic foil here and really give uh, Brick sort of the proverbial knee to the groin here, uh, at least in words. Actually, the first draft of the... Of the uh, of the argument that they have out in the stable, she actually did kick him uh, in his his man parts. But I thought that <laughs> thought that might be a little too overt, considering um, what he had just been doing with Nomi. And uh, sometimes my feminist uh, tendencies tend to go a little bit um, a little bit too much. And I, I just felt that was a little too heavy handed or heavy booted, as it as you might say. Um. I had been interviewed and asked about romance and um, I just, I have sort of systematic issues with too much romance and setting things up so perfectly at the end that everyone is happy and together. I think love is a lot more complicated than that. I think a lot of writers actually don't really sort of examine that so much. We so want those characters to be together or apart. I think half the time it's more exciting when they're apart than we're together anyway. Um, but I wanted Brick to try to almost have his own therapy with Lark. Like he's hoping that if he can be friends and then like they can be girlfriend and boyfriend that somehow he's, he can be forgiven for what he did with Denna and sort of get over his love for Cora and his guilt and all the things that are tied up in that. And Lark uh, kind of emerged in the scene as a much stronger character than I think I initially thought she was going to be. And her backstory will figure in prominently, too. We'll learn a bit more about Lem Starling and um, her remaining brothers and uh, sort of the story that, that's behind there. And she is Alder class. It's not really made clear, but I'm not giving away too much. She, she is from an upper-class family, even though her dad's kind of um, unusual, <laughs> I guess is the right way to say it. But um, all in all, I think this chapter... It's kind of exciting. The the cold baritone at the end is, of course, uh, Sir Ander. So in spite of the fact that uh, Gowan and company knew they were probably walking into a trap, I don't think Brick particularly picked up on that. But they have walked into a trap, and our next chapter will take off where this one ends. So that's that's pretty much what I have to say about that if you do have questions you can always let me know you can email me at aldersgatecycle at gmail.com or leave a comment either in the actual post for this particular chapter which was chapter 17 or um, which was alderpod 19 or uh, in the general comments on the aldersgatecycle.wordpress.com forward slash alderpod page so anyway Hope this was somewhat enlightening. Uh, if you have any questions, like I said, let me know. Um, 
always great to hear from people. It does make a big difference and keeps me going. So thank you so much for listening and have a good one.